0: Before we dive into the episode with Meg, I've just got some announcements. Today marks our first episode in October, which means it's donation time. Here at Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have to charity at the start of each month. By the time I'm recording this intro, we have 12 patrons, which means I'll be donating $12 to the International Rescue Committee. At this time, there are a lot of people suffering in Afghanistan, especially women. The IRC responds to humanitarian crises worldwide, providing water, healthcare, and shelter to support refugees and displaced people, with a focus on providing aid and assistance to women and girls. If you'd like to learn more about what the IRC does, you can do so at rescue.org. I also want to take a moment to thank all of our fantastic patrons. Plain and simple, this podcast is made possible by your support. Your generosity each month means so much to me. I really can't thank you all enough. With a special thanks and shout out, as always, to our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. And as a way to show my thanks even more, we're starting bi-monthly merch giveaways for our patrons. Speaking of, this month's winner is Ellis. Congrats, Ellis. I'll be in touch soon about getting you the merch of your choice. If anyone would like to join our Patreon community and get access to our Discord server, monthly Star Wars trivia nights, bloopers and bonus audio, exclusive merch, and more, you can do so for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com outerrimreads. Now for our searcher reading segment. Last episode's question was, so far we've been introduced to two seemingly different types of Jedi. Those with unique connections to the Force, like Avar Chris, and those who act quickly amidst physical tensions, like Loden Greatstorm. What qualities of these new Jedi have stood out to you? And we have an answer on Instagram from Radio Rebellion. They said, at this point in the story, I just love all the different ways the Jedi connect with the Force. It's something completely new for Star Wars. Thank you so much for that response, and stay tuned for our next discussion question at the end of this episode. Now let's get into episode 43 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 43 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we will be breaking down chapters 7 through 9 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by the editor-in-chief at Utini, Meg Dowell. Meg, how's it going tonight?
1: It is going great. I... I'm so glad to be here, and I have my coffee, and I have, I have all my all my notes that are not sad at all. It's good, it's great.
0: I'm only nine chapters into the book, oh, and God. so there was there was a time when I thought, you know, like maybe things can get better. You know, there's surely happiness around the corner. You know, Avar Chris said, hope is on the way. You know, help is on the way, but as things turn out, uh, it's not as simple as that, (laughs) which we will definitely dive into, but I'll probably be a sad boy at some time during this recording.
1: (laughs) I reread them earlier today, and I kind of just sat there for a while afterwards, and I was like... Oh yeah, I remember now. There's a lot happening and it's, it's not good.
0: <laughs> even when it seems like it might take a turn for the better, there's always there's always a catch. There's always something more yep. that, you know, Charles Soule just kinda pulls the rug a little bit out from under our feet, just just a bit. <laughs> there's no reprieve, or seemingly so, but before we even talk about Light of the Jedi. You know, you've been on the show for an episode back in season two when we covered Master and Apprentice. But you know, new season, potentially new listeners uh, on the block for Light of the Jedi. Could you give a little bit of background on your introduction into Star Wars as a whole, and then specifically how you came upon Light of the Jedi and and when you got started with that book?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure I'm one of those where Star Wars has always just kind of been there. It's hard for me to remember exactly like when I technically saw my first Star Wars movie, because my dad has been a fan since Star Wars was a thing. And so he's the kind of person who watches movies over and over and over. And that's especially with Star Wars, because he loves it so much. And so I'm sure, um, you know, as I was really young and growing up, there were Star Wars playing all the time. So it was probably just like, in my brain already. And then um, I remember when The Phantom Menace came out on video. Uh, My brother was very young at that point. And so like, you know, when children are very young, you have to entertain them somehow. So often that was put on a Star Wars movie. And so I promise you, we probably watched that movie a 100 times, if not more, (laughs) just because it's a good movie. And I grew up with the prequels. And I grew up just knowing that Star Wars was something that really mattered to my family. And that just made it automatically matter to me. And I first got into the books not too long after that, because I was watching all the movies through for the first time, and finished Attack of the Clones. And I was like, Okay, Dad, I'm ready to see, you know, episode three, which didn't exist at the time. So to in an an attempt to mend my very broken heart, because how was I supposed to live without knowing what happened to Anakin and Padme after (laughs) Attack of the Clones? He took me to the library, and we came back with a, a couple Star Wars books, I think. And that it's just like that has been my life ever since. Um, you know, I've always been a reader. I've always been into you know stories and uh, characters, and having Star Wars on top of that, having it be stories within the Star Wars universe that I could read when there what because there really wasn't there weren't shows like there are now back then. So it's like you could watch the movies over and over and over again. Or you could, like, pick up a book and get a whole new story within this universe that you love that you wouldn't get any other way. And so I've always really been into the books and really came back to that with the new canon. And um, the Ahsoka novel, I think, was, like, the first book that really, really brought me back, like, into the fandom, like, hardcore, um, because I loved Ahsoka and I loved her story. And that book, I think I've read it, like, three times now, and it's just, like, it's a different book to me every single time, and it's very meaningful. So in between like that and like now, you know, I got involved with UTini and, um, you know, we're always just reading the books and talking about the books and uh, trying to figure out like how to introduce the books to different people. And even way back when The High Republic was first announced, when it was still called Project Luminous, it didn't have like a name yet. We are so excited because this was just a publishing initiative. Like we were just getting a whole bunch of books and like this new Star Wars thing. It wasn't a show. It wasn't a movie. It was... This thing that was just books, that was like amazing to us and to me. And so we knew Light of the Jedi was coming and we and it, it had gotten delayed and there was a longer wait than expected. But when I finally got it, I opened to like the first page and I started reading and I was like, already I can tell that this is the Star Wars that we know and love, but there's something different about it. And I love that. And I still do. It's It's everything familiar that we love about this universe written so beautifully and telling a story that we really, really need at this time.
0: Really, when uh, you're mentioning when Project Luminous was announced and, you know, as specifically a publishing initiative, uh, there's something pretty beautiful about that just as someone who loves star wars books uh, myself where you know would i like there to be a show or like a video game one day of the high republic like heck yeah but the fact that all these resources are being devoted purely to you know the literature whether it's that's in comic books or novels you know whether that's YA or more uh, mature and you know, it's just uh it's really Awesome to to see happening uh, in this in the Star Wars you know book community and to see everyone's reactions to them as well because this is my first time through Light of the Jedi so there's a lot of books and comics that I have been missing out on but I'm really excited for the t- for the day that I can finally catch up and and get through all of the amazing material that I've seen everyone uh, you know talking about and all this discourse on online and all that mm. but it's it's truly I've been really impressed with. Charles Soule's writing through these first chapters, you know, very descriptive, very vivid also about this era, like you're talking about that, uh, you know, these stories that we need in this era that's, you know, untapped and full of all this potential for for something great. You know, I don't know if I can call everything that's happened so far in the book entirely great, but okay. there's there's a lot of, you know, set up for this really beautiful time in the republic and with the jedi that you know it's it's around the corner i'm hoping to actually see you know just the good in it instead of all this chaos so far but i guess part one is called the great disaster for a reason so right. <laughs> you know just have to get through that but we've got a, f- a few interesting chapters on our hands uh here you know uh again involving different characters along the way um so how about i give my summary for chapter seven and then we can get talking about the details. Let's do it. A squad of three Jedi vectors and a Republic long beam fly around the fruited moon, preparing to strike at an anomaly heading straight for the moon. If Jedi Master Teyami and her colleagues fail to stop the object, four billion lives could be lost in a matter of minutes. However, Tiami maintains her resolve, feeling Master Avar Kris' connection through the Force as she makes her presence known to every Jedi in the system during her meditation. Just as Tiami and the other Jedi, Masters Sutmani and Asek and Padawan Adaburi, prepare to link their consciousnesses to track the object, Agaburi is broken off from the connection as the others sense fear and panic from the apprentice. However, before the Masters can fire as one, Agabari hurriedly stops them as the truth is made clear. The Jedi learn that the object is part of a ship carrying living beings. The end of the chapter was something that I had kind of suspected, you know, as these anomalies are just, you know, flying into the Hetzal system, I was always thinking and kind of hoping that it was just, you know, pieces of the ship and not necessarily confirmed to be, you know, some of them confirmed to be these compartments holding people still alive from the Legacy run. Right. So that was uh, kind of horrifying to learn at the end, very chilling, but. You know, what were your thoughts on Chapter 7 as a whole?
1: I love this emphasis on the connection between the Jedi and how how closely they are bonded and how well they work together. And that and even like in that initial moment where, you know, Burry is really, really struggling and his master is like, okay, just disconnect him and you know it's going to be okay like she even told him like this we'll learn from this it's going to be fine just the way that jedi are interacting with each other is just it's so different it's so different than anything we've gotten with the jedi before like especially in the prequels and i love that distinction and i love also that this chapter is just so intense because you know from the beginning you're building up to something i mean that's been the case for the whole book but this chapter in particular you're building up to something. You don't know what it is. You don't know what this big reveal is going to be. And then you get to it and you're like, well, that's terrible. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first time I read this, I didn't expect that at all. They put so much emphasis on, or he's a Padawan. Like, he, this is a lot to handle. Like, you know, this is why he's reacting this way. Not even, doesn't even give you the thought that like, oh, no, he's sensing this terrible thing and we just don't know it yet. The way Charles Soule writes is just so... Different And so poetic and so beautiful. And um, I love having him in Star Wars so much. It's just, it's so good.
0: I have been really impressed with his writing, especially, uh, I think, in the way that he describes the Force as perceived by different Jedi. And I think I'll touch more on that in the next chapter with Avar Chris. But you you had talked about and you'd mentioned the the real strong emphasis on this connection between and among the Jedi. And that's something I think in earlier episodes in the season that's been touched on is this this theme of unity and this theme of connection, whether that's in the order or the republic as a whole. And, you know, there's kind of been this theme of contrast between what we get in the prequels with the order compared to now, and really this like you're saying, this unique connection that we're seeing on the page, it's it's something that we've never seen before, especially in how it's described with kind of Avar Chris's, you know, she's in this meditative uh, state and she's really <laughs> connecting with every single Jedi where they can all feel her presence in kind of the back of their minds. And that's just something very powerful and very beautiful and really... Emphasizing just how connective the the force is, you know, whether that's in their lives and their individual connections to the force, or connecting all living things, all living beings, um, you know, it was just very striking and very uh, just very beautiful to to read that description from uh, Master Teami. And so, you know, we start this ga- uh, we start this galaxy, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so we start the the chapter with this a squadron of, you know, three vectors and a long beam. They're flying around the fruited moon, uh, and they're getting ready to shoot at this anomaly, at this object. And, you know, the stakes are very high. You know, four billion inhabitants on the moon. And, you know, Tiami is thinking how the moon is legendary throughout the galaxy for its bounty, and I guess not for its terrible name. Uh, I, I'm not, I am not been a fan of the the rooted and fr- uh, what is it rooted and fruited moons? Is that it? Uh,
1: I think so. Yeah, <laughs> just, I don't
0: know. <laughs> I spent a lot of time dunking on those names. <laughs> um, oh no! But uh, you know, we we kind of get also some insight into this this new Jedi that we're introduced to, Master Tiami, into her her worldview. And I'm just gonna read this passage here that we get. When she's thinking about how it's very possible that the moon could be entirely destroyed. And she's thinking, quote, worlds seemed unbreakable when you were standing on them, but Tiame had seen things in her day. The galaxy didn't care what you thought couldn't be broken. It would break things just to show you it could. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of been picking up how unique these different Jedi are, how how different they are from each other, very uh, starkly so in some cases. And this is a very, it struck me as a very stark, you know, contrast to maybe the kind of like the lighthearted nature of, you know, Belle Zetaphar and kind of the serene presence of Avar Chris, where Xiaomi's view here, it seems very kind of more jaded than the others. And it was just very striking to hear that perspective, you know, whether that's the stakes of the situation kind of having this effect on her or whether she has seen devastation like this before, but it was just very striking. and, And it seems that We're in the perspective of someone who's kind of maybe jaded by the galaxy, even in this golden age.
1: I've I've been thinking a lot as I've been reading, you know, all of these these books, and it's hard to remember that, like, so many of these Jedi are not used to large-scale conflicts like this because we're so used to seeing, like, in the prequels, for example, like, other than in The Phantom Menace, like, there's war happening or there's about to be a war and, you know, the Jedi are, like, more they get used to that pretty quick because they have to and it's kind of like the same thing here where there are conflicts all over the galaxy that they're going around and trying to resolve and things like that and um, that can really you know change your perspective on things and then to like for them to realize probably like in the moment especially like maybe even in this chapter where like they're doing what they always do which is they're coming in to save the day and like there's probably the realization that like we might not be able to um it's too big as powerful and mighty as the Jedi might be, like, is this too much?
0: Yeah, we really begin to wonder that, especially at the, I guess, at the end of this chapter, at the end of the next chapter, uh, when the bridge of the Third Horizon realizes the truth that's that's happening, you know, but we're really left with this with this question, with this wondering of are they going to be able to save this moon with 4 billion people there? You know, what What can three Jedi starships do in the face of, uh, you know, just imminent death and destruction of so many people? And, you know, this is definitely a tall task. But, you know, Tami does take this comfort, as we mentioned, in kind of feeling Master Chris kind of in the back of her mind. And she describes this uh, as she calls it a rare ability or like, you know, power through the force that Chris seems to have. And, you know, we had talked about it, but I would just like to to read it too as as she describes it. Quote, she could feel Avar at the back of her mind. Not in words, more of a sense of the woman's presence. Master Chris had a skill set rare among the Jedi she could detect the natural bonds between forced users and strengthen them, using them as almost a sort of communication network. It was inexact, best for transmitting sensations, locations, but it was still a useful ability, particularly in a scenario where a hundred Jedi were all trying to save a system at once. And I, I mentioned this before in, in, a, in one of the earlier episodes, how this reminds me of kind of battle meditation, I think in like mm. the Legends Thrawn mm trilogy we kind of read about Palpatine having this kind of influence you know kind of being able to kind of uplift the emotions of the imperial fleet and really when he died that's when kind of that was abandoned and it was you know the imperials were left like their their humanness and here it just it seems like something along those lines where You know, Chris is able to, you know, again, not in words, but kind of just in emotions and these feelings be there for, I think we find out like some 53 Jedi, but also for for kind of everyone in the system. But, you know, I don't know, it just, uh, I I guess as a reader and reading this, we can take some comfort when Tiami takes this kind of comfort and realizing Mm -hmm. that as isolated as they seem in this situation and what can three, four Jedi do against you know, these odds that they are not alone. And, you know, kind of this theme of togetherness continues, even, you know, when they're not physically together at all.
1: Right. And, you know, that's why Avar Chris is in the position that she's in is because she has this ability to, um, even when there's nothing that she can do physically in the moment, sometimes the least that you can do is just, like, comfort someone or just to remind them that, like, it seems bad now, but, like, you're not doing this by yourself um and that's like it it is such a unique ability to have and it's you know who knows what's gonna happen with that down the road um not gonna <laughs> spoil. you do but i don't <laughs> you or anyone else um but you know it's what if they become like too dependent on that and then she's no longer able to provide that mm. for them then what uh-oh <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you're worrying me <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, you know, for being given this thing. And what yeah. if Soul takes it away or some <laughs> other author takes it away?
1: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. I'm fine.
0: Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised by anything just bad happening now. No. Even, you know, seven chapters in.
1: <laughs> you know, you got a long way to go. It's, yeah. you're going to be fine. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that to comfort you, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this theme of comfort, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Even now, I need it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and um, we also, you know, she's thinking about the Jedi who are flying with her, you know, uh, Mikhail Sudmani, who is an Athorian Jedi. I love Athorians. They're, they're just awesome, uh, <laughs> awesome, awesome dudes. Yep. Um, and Nib Asek with her Padawan, Buriaga Agaburi, who we find out is a Wookiee Jedi, um, which. I was really excited to read about, you know, what I had seen concept art and all that for, I think, various Wookiee Jedi, but the fact that we actually, you know, get that mention, you know, here on the page, it's something that, you know, we haven't seen in the prequel era to the best of my knowledge. Okay there, Past Andrew, hold up. Hey, listeners, this is Editing Andrew. Past Andrew seems to be saying here that Burry is the first Wookiee Jedi that we've come across, but I've got a question for him. Does the name Gunji mean nothing to him? The beloved, adored Wookiee Jedi Padawan from the Clone Wars series? This is really disappointing from past Andrew that such an adorable character could slip his mind so easily, but I just wanted to clarify that we have in fact seen a Wookiee Jedi before in the Clone Wars series, and his name was Gunji. Now let's get back to the show. But, you know, Mm -hmm. to have that uh, on page here, and I think later we also find about a a Trandoshan Jedi and all that, to see this diversity in the Jedi and also the fact that I think Nib purposefully learned the Wookiee language, Sheriwook, because uh, Buri, that's the only language he speaks, um, in order to take... Bury on as her apprentice I thought that was just that was so wholesome and just shows yeah. that you know that's that that bit of devotion to make that connection with someone who you really desire to be your Padawan right. it can just go such a long way and I love that touch and also just again getting a Wookiee Jedi it just it makes me smile.
1: <laughs> He's just wonderful and um, you know even in like this Terrifying moment that he's having and and making this realization, he he saves the day. Think of how many people he saved by being able to like warn everyone, like, "Hey, this is actually what's going on." uh it's I, he's. I need him to uh, be okay for um the rest of all of the higher public. Um, if the anything happens of to Wars. him, even if it's not Kevin Scott's fault, I'm going to blame him anyway because it's yeah, somehow right. indirectly <laughs> going to be his fault. So
0: it's got to be from what I have seen people's reactions on the uh, on the Twitter net. <laughs> When they're preparing to target this object together, you know they're drawing on the Force to concentrate and prepare to strike as one with like a single combined blast from uh, from the four ships there. Because I think Tami also takes control of the long beams weapons. You know she tells them to transfer control of the weapons to her. Uh, so you know the Jedi with their connection with the Force to track the object will be able to strike more precisely than I think the pilots of the long beam are not Jedi. So. We also get this description of Tammy's lightsaber, um, you know, as she's using the force to draw it out of her belt uh, onto the control panel, which I'll talk about uh, just after, because that was a really cool detail mm. as we get. Yeah. But it's pretty much the opposite of Avar Chris's lightsaber, which was very, you know, neat and elegant. You know, I think there was like a green sea stone you know, along the side, and it was mm-hmm. just very this, this uh, elegant weapon. And we find out that Tiami's is scratched and it's beaten up and it included, you know, a piece that she had to weld back together. You know, I think there was a piece that had fallen off and it kind of reminded me of Uh, cal's saber in jedi fallen order you know very kind of a beat-up blade yeah but i do like this thought that tiami has when she's thinking of her lightsaber you know and she's thinking about how a lot of the jedi they do kind of you know revamp their blades and you know make them you know as pretty as they can be and you know well kept and all that and she's thinking quote her lightsaber ugly as it was served as a perfect reflection of the great truth of the force no matter what a person was on the outside, inside, everyone was made of light, which I just, uh, I got chills reading that. I just, you know, we had both mentioned Charles Soul's ability to write very well and very descriptively here. And this passage is, is no different. It's just beautiful.
1: It is. And like, I read that sentence and then just hearing you read it now it made me think of how like, it's so sad. Um, Oh, here we go. Ugh. Um, it's it's so sad that uh you know the Jedi can be in this moment and think like oh you know the galaxy is good like there is light there is good and everyone not knowing like all the terrible things that are gonna happen it it shows you where the Jedi are at you know and they're they're still in the mindset that like sometimes bad things happen but like everyone is um everyone's good but um that's not necessarily the case
0: as we as we I guess find out at the end of Chapter Nine, where we, uh, you know, what we what we see then, I'll I'll touch on that when we get there. But you know, it is a very I don't want to call it naive view of the Mm -hmm. galaxy. I think it's just a very hopeful uh, view of the galaxy, which is you know, it's kind of very much the state of the Jedi, as you're saying, as you just said, you know, this time of hope and just you know, brilliance of the Republic and the Jedi, you know, where it is. As far as they know, you know, a time of light and peace and all that. You know, it'll be, I guess, kind of heartbreaking now to see that image, you know, come apart as I continue my reading. But, uh, you know, still very, uh, you know, Tammy still has a very... Hopeful and 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 good view of what the galaxy is or how she perceives it, uh, which is also I guess contrasted to how she was thinking earlier. You know where, you know the galaxy can just quickly take these things from you if it just to show you that it could. But then here she does believe that everyone has this this light inside them, and we also find out how cool the vectors are when you know she is maneuvering her lightsaber with the force and it kind of clicks into place on her control panel. And basically, you know, once it is in place, the weapon system activates and the panel lights up in the color of the kyber crystal of the lightsaber. And basically that the lightsabers serve as this key for the weapon system, kind of ensuring that only the Jedi are able to use them, which I don't think that I've seen something like that in Star Wars before. And that was just it was so cool. <laughs> it
1: was so cool. I when I read that the first time, I was like who, how, how, how did you think of that? And why is it so good? Um, you know, it also shows, like, just to have, like, the the Jedi at this point where um, they are very aware of, in a sense, how powerful they are. And, um, you know, how they need to protect the resources that they have so that they can do the job that they need to do. But just, like, those details and, like, the fact that, like, you cannot use the weapons unless you have a lightsaber and it's, you know, plugged into the thing. Why Why have we never seen that before? And like, why is that never a thing again? I need to know who decided that this is no longer going to be like a procedure because like, it's a pretty good idea.
0: Was it too fancy? Like, did I just become less fancy boys? Like, you know, I don't know.
1: I don't know what happened.
0: (laughs) You know, like by the time of the Clone Wars, you know, where we think technology has progressed, you know, here's like they're still discovering Bacta, this uses in medicine. And like, you know, years later, it's like, how about if we take away that cool thing that we once had, you know, with that (laughs) thing, the lightsaber keys? And that was kind of silly, right? And I'm like, no, no, keep it. We like that. (laughs) But we do get to that point where the masters can feel this kind of panic and fear kind of emanating from, as, they, as they're as they perceiving it, from Burry. And I think it was uh, one of them asks uh, Teami if, quote, can we free him from the burden of helping us calculate the shot? And she responds, yes, there is no shame in this Burry, only an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. And so they do break him off from the connection, which... On one hand, it's probably the the smart choice, you know, given the stakes of the situation, you know, four billion lives at stake, you know, no big deal, right? But also, it is an intense situation to kind of dub as an opportunity to learn. And like, Mm -hmm. what happened if something went wrong, you know, like, oh, sorry, guys, just a learner's mistake, like, LOL, (laughs) what happened again? Like, it just seemed like kind of a two-edged sword there, like, smart choice, but also... You're coming at this as like, oh, he can learn from this with 4 billion lives at stake. I'm like, no, I
1: don't know. <laughs> yeah, I d- there's actually been again, I won't spoil anything, but there've actually been a couple instances <laughs> in different stories where they're really doing a good job of using Bury as like an example of like how a Padawan should be treated, which is um, you know, they'll be in these situations where he's trying to you know essentially do his best because we, I mean I don't know how young he is but fairly young and his master will be you know just kind of like you know it's okay we'll talk about this later and i really like that because it kind of puts the focus on like you know i am taking you out on these missions and we're getting this real world experience but i'm i'm taking care of you but i'm still your teacher and we're still going to like talk about this i think that's the key is she's not just letting him like have all these feelings and emotions and then just saying like yeah uh, just just ignore it or just you know don't feel the thing just do whatever she's kind of saying like these emotions that you're having are significant and we can work through them that's like one of the big differences between Jedi of the High Republic and the Jedi that we know better from the prequels for example is it's not mm. so much feelings are not okay attachments are not okay it's okay you're a living being, you're going to have emotions, let's talk about what that means. And not necessarily letting them influence everything that you do, but understanding that like emotions still have to be processed. And yeah. if they kept that philosophy around long enough for Anakin Skywalker to go through the system, <laughs> then, you know, who knows what the Star Wars story would have been, but it would not have ended the way that it did.
0: It would be much different looking. And, yes. <laughs> that is a good point that I don't think that I'd actually thought of where, you know, I think. She says that, you know, there's no shame in what you're feeling here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess like you're saying in the time of the prequel order, like emotions and those kind of feelings are kind of like taboo, uh, which, you know, it's very much not the case here. And you know, like you're saying, there's, you know, an opportunity to learn from the situation, but then also an opportunity to learn from these feelings and emotions that that Burry is experiencing or or how they perceive him to be experiencing, because we do find out the truth You know, moments later when they're about to strike where apparently this panic and fear that they had thought belonged to Burry was actually coming from him sensing these emotions from, as it turns out, the people in the object that they are about to shoot down, which, you know, again, it's a part of. The legacy run as we as readers know mm-hmm. and that just all this time that you know these anomalies were you know crashing into things or being shot at you know that some of them hopefully not all of them but some of them have contained people still alive from the legacy run you know I think one of you know uh, I guess one of the last lines of the first chapter was that you know Captain Cassette wasn't sure if she had saved anyone with her actions mm-hmm. and to find out that she had saved many of them, only for a lot of them to suffer the fates that they have, you know, in the cell system, it's just, it's chilling, and now we're left with, you know, even more chills and kind of this horrifying situation where it's almost like the classic, you know, train car dilemma, you know, are they going to save four billion people at the cost of these passengers the other way around, or, they, or are they going to be able to find this miraculous way to save both it's just a massive question to be left on with this with the end of this chapter but very kind of just tragic uh which i feel is just an understatement so far but just a very tragic truth about a lot of these anomalies it's just it that hit hard when that was confirmed it it was like a punch to the gut
1: yeah for sure it was Again, it's it's you're, you're getting that sense of hope where, oh, okay, the Jedi are doing the thing. Um, they're going to shoot down the debris and uh, we're going to save the billions of people and it's going to be fine. Oh, no, wait, just kidding. Oh, no, that's not the case. Forget about your hope for a second. We have a problem. The tension in these chapters and um, the way that things move so fast and turn so quickly. I reread these three chapters this morning and I was like exhausted by the end. Yeah. like so much is happening, and the whole book is like this,
0: which <laughs> is not very encouraging for me to hear. I'm sorry. You know, that just—I <laughs> mean, it's been good so far, is. but just—it's been a lot. You know, I'm kind of just glad that. At the pace I'm going, I don't read past what I record, you know, obviously, because right. it's, uh, you know, my my first time through it. And right. I guess I'm kind of glad about that pace where it's, you know, yeah. just bit by bit at a time, you know, because yeah. I feel like if I were to really plow through it, it would just I would need to take some days off work and just be like, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay.
1: I can't. I, I, can't uh, I can't come into work today. Why? Because Star Wars.
0: I'm sad boy. Star Wars yeah. did this to me. <laughs> It's Charles Soul's fault. You don't know him, but just trust me.
1: <laughs> See, there, there, there's these five authors. They all hate me personally.
0: We'll keep moving with uh, with chapter eight. I can give my summary, and we can continue into kind of the as this truth dawns on even more people. Go for it. On the bridge of the third horizon, now landed on Hetzel Prime. Master Avar Kriss reaches out through the Force, sensing the emotions and presence of the entire system. The Force, in the surrounding life and death, sings a song of both tragedy and resilience. Kriss reflects on her friendship with Jedi Master Elzarman as she senses his actions through the Force. And she also wonders how bad things could have gotten had the Third Horizon not been in a perfect position to aid the Hetzal system. Suddenly, Chris senses Master Tiami's thoughts, realizing the same horrifying truth the other Jedi had learned moments ago. Abandoning her meditation, Chris calls the bridge crew to attention, informing them of the evolved situation. They must now, against improbable odds, find a way to save the living beings aboard the fast moving anomalies. It's uh really this the the weight of the situation becomes even heavier once, you know, kind of the leader of the operation, uh Avar Chris, you know, realizes what is happening. But I was also really impressed with her approach to this knowledge, as we'll dive into once we uh once we get to that part. But what we're what did you think about Chapter 8 and, and really kind of taking in the reaction of what's happening aboard the third horizon?
1: She's so full of hope. And she's so confident that, um, you know, they're going to win this and they're going to come together as they always do and essentially save the day. And then, like, to see her realize, like, this is way more complicated than we ever thought it could be. It's heartbreaking. But the fact that she can you know maintain her composure and professionalism she can be the Jedi master that she is and kind of like calmly as much as you can like approach the situation and you know say like we need to figure out how to deal with this now
0: yeah really uh, I've been very impressed with her character so far and her reaction in the face of this knowledge this horrifying knowledge of of what is actually happening. Yeah, I don't know if any kind of training could prepare anyone for this moment, but which probably makes it even more impressive of how she's able to maintain at least her outward composure. Uh, you know, I, uh, I think I'm not sure. I guess I should be sure because I just read the chapter. But, uh, you know, at least outwardly to the crew, she is very calm and composed. And she does maintain that inward hope as well. But I love how the chapter begins. Quote, The Force sang to Jedi Master Avar Chris, a choir that was the entirety of the Hetzal system, life and death in constant contrapuntal motion. And you know, earlier in the book, we had kind of perceived through uh, Bel Zedifar's eyes, you know, the Force as a candle, as a flame within each person. And earlier in Chapter 7, through uh, Master Tiami's eyes, you know, kind of as this light within each person, that each person has this light within them. And here with Avar Chris, we see the Force as a song, you know, being sung in the fabric of the universe. And... I just love these different perceptions of the Force from Jedi to Jedi. It's really just a, it's just this beautiful painting that is just taking just different strokes on f- in different Jedi. And it was a beautiful way to open the chapter and I think it was very much needed by us, you know, kind of like yeah. this this dose of beauty before the situation gets more tense.
1: Yeah, I do love the emphasis on every Jedi kind of experiences the Force or sees it differently. And I love the fact that he chose music for Avar because I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but as I was listening to you kind of read that, I just, I had this thought of like, music is unique in that like it can unify a lot of people at once because this was kind of used in the text. Um, If you're standing in a room, like if you're part of a choir and you're just standing there and you're all singing together, You might not know or even get along with anyone that's standing around you, but in the moment when you're performing the song and you're all doing it at the same time and you're doing your respective parts and it's all coming together and it's all a joint thing, it's a kind of connection that is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And to have that be the kind of thing that Avar experiences when she thinks or sees the force is so perfect and it, it amazes me still because it's so beautiful like I, I'm yeah. almost tearing up which is why I don't know but
0: <laughs> I mean it's you know it's very I know it we can't like see it, but what we're reading on the text, it really, uh, just, you know, I guess we all love music. And <laughs> so just, it's, yeah. it's it just this very, takes this very vivid image, at least, you know, when I was reading it, I could really just, I could feel it, uh, you know, and yeah. just the different perceptions of the force, you know, in some ways as the force as this kind of art form, it's just, it really is beautiful and yeah. kind of this comfort before, you know, the situation kind of worsens a bit, but uh, I just, I love that kind of unique perception from yeah. from Jedi to Jedi. And it was, she is serving as that connection point through the Force for the Jedi in the system. You know, she is, uh, she counts, you know, 53 of them with more on the way. Uh what was that the, from the attack of the clones? You know, uh, 200,000 <laughs> with millions more on the way, uh, <laughs> maybe millions more Jedi, who knows? But yeah, she's picking up on the different, you know, kind of senses of different Jedi in the system, you know, including Bell and and his master Storm, as well as this Elzarman, one of her close friends. And, you know, we don't really get a lot of him, just kind of a, a couple of paragraphs as she's thinking about him. But he seems like a pretty fascinating character from the ways that we learn that he interacts with the Force, according to uh, Chris's thoughts here. She's thinking, quote, he was a tinkerer, if that term could apply to Jedi techniques. He never liked to use the Force the same way twice. And it goes on to talk about how he kind of does, uh, quote, experiments with the Force. And I've heard of, you know, a lot of different ways that the Jedi study and approach the Force, you know, just different ways in which they interact with it. But I don't think that I've ever heard, you know, maybe this could be the first time in which I've kind of read about a Jedi scientist, <laughs> yeah. which uh, which was very just, it was very neat. Just like interpreting the force in that way and kind of tinkering with the force. It was very, uh, it was just very unique to read about. I, I love that little bit.
1: I think it's just so fascinating how you get the feeling, like even early on in the prequels that the Jedi, so many of the Jedi treat the force as, um, you know, something to be used to confront someone or even in certain cases, I guess, manipulate someone else. But we're seeing the Jedi here in this era at this time treat the Force as just like something that um they want to get to know, something that they want to almost like play with, something that they are like genuinely like interested in and want to know more about. And it's more of something that they're themselves fascinated by. Mm-hmm. And that just it's so different than what we're used to. And again, back to um, what happened to that. It just it makes the characters so much more interesting because of the fact that not only does every single one of them experience or feel the force differently, but they are, you know, determined to learn all they can from it in different ways and what they can do with it and not necessarily in a way to benefit themselves or to benefit the Republic, but just just because it's the force
0: yeah it was uh, it's just a really fascinating way to read about someone's approach to it you know kind of the the force as uh, it's kind of uh, I don't I'm forgetting the chemistry terms I'm just imagining <laughs> just in a lab you know kind of with <laughs> vial, vials of the force combining oh, <laughs> Uh, But we do find out that some in the Order do find him and his methods to be frustrating just with how unpredictable Mm -hmm. he can be. So maybe there's that hint of kind of more traditionalists within the Order even now who, you know, kind of frown upon that. And, you know, we have this little bit from uh, how uh, Chris is thinking about uh, Mon's response to the kind of critics that he, quote, thought it was unfair. He didn't care about other Jedi's path through the Force. Why should they concern themselves with his? He just wanted to follow his road where it led, uh, which, you know, got maybe some elements of a bit of rogue nature within El Zerman here. It kind of mm-hmm. was reminiscent, you know, having just covered Master and Apprentice, you know, kind of reminded of Qui-Gon and Rail, you know, kind of right. more focused on, okay, where's the force leading me? You know, it's forget about the critics, you know, the haters can let them hate, but, you know, kind of uh, on this on this more personal kind of solo journey with the Force, which I was just reminded there of of some familiar characters. Yeah,
1: there are some similarities. And the High Republic does a little bit later on explore kind of that idea of, you know, maybe not every Jedi has to follow the exact same path. And that's okay. And that's really interesting. I would really I'd really be interested to talk to you about that more because by the time like Qui-Gon is in his position in the Order, like it's really frowned upon to do anything other than Follow the rules exactly, but it hasn't always been like that. Mm. Once again, why? What happened? What's different? Two hundred years from now,
0: (laughs) I don't know if I want to find out, but at the same time, I do. You know, Uh, just like to see, in my mind, what went wrong, Uh, because I think a lot of a lot of what I'm reading, you know, I know it's not going to be all sunshine and daisies as far as the Jedi themselves (laughs) are concerned. You know, outside of the context of this great disaster, but it it has been. I've been very encouraged about the Jedi that I've read about so far and just their perception of and relationship with this living force. So I'm very interested, but also kind of uh, anxious to learn about what changes there and to see the ruffles and the feathers of the order. But I was kind of, I did have this kind of question mark over part of Chris's thinking of this situation. You know, she's reminiscing on how things might've been if the third horizon hadn't shown up when it had and in the process, she's thinking, quote, so far, the death toll from the disaster was low, barely above the baseline churn of life and death, constantly at work in any large group of beings. And I'm wondering, has it really been low, though? You know, this might be some dramatic irony where we know more of the death toll than she might, you know, also mm-hmm. knowing that there are now people in these, in many of these anomalies and also we had the tragic, you know, almost 900 people just being wiped out in a single moment when I think the farmer tried to evacuate a bunch of people from one of the moons. But, you know, maybe she has sensed that death too. But either way, I was just kind of off put by approaching it with the thought of, uh, you know, the death toll isn't really that much above average, you know, it just didn't, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. I just, I, it didn't really sit that well with me. Maybe I'm being too
1: critical. I mean, I I like the idea that she might not know or might not know just like to what extent, you know, because she can sense many, many things at once. But when there's a lot of death like that, do you automatically just close yourself off to that in the moment because you need to focus on, you know, the moment at hand? Maybe that's it. Maybe like she knows way somewhere in the back of her mind that that there's been a lot more death and tragedy, but she just can't acknowledge Mm -hmm. it at the moment. I don't know.
0: I mean, there's things that she does not know, but trying to figure out too much that she is unsure of will take away kind of her focus from the the moment. So I should uh, give her some more credit here, (laughs) but-
1: I mean, she's she's already thinking too much about Elzar and not focusing on what she needs to. So you know, yeah, you know, I,
0: I've kind of, I don't know, I've heard about some Jedi uh being rather. I think I've seen a lot of tweets about the Jedi being particularly horny in this air in this era of the galaxy. Seemed like, ha, huh, Elzar, Elzar, Mon and Avar Chris. Is that are they a unit? But I don't know just yet. <laughs> um, I can't say anything. Yeah, you know, please I don't. I can't say anything. <laughs> There was kind of this, um, you know, as Chris is kind of moving through this web of forced connectivity, you know, she's picking up on different moments throughout the system, and one of which is two vectors firing their weapons and incinerating one of the anomalies. And to her, this seems like, oh, yeah, small victory. You know, they they took down one of those things. But to us, we're like, were there people aboard that? You know, it, it's right. uh, again, we, there's that question that's just looming over the situation now. But she does pick up on kind of these thoughts that Tiami is having, and she realizes the same truth. And, you know, after she kind of breaks off from her meditation to tell the, the bridge crew about it, Admiral Krenara is there uh, having finished a conversation with uh, Chancellor So. His response was kind of questionable after Chris told them all, like, what's up? There's this quote, realization dawned on Krenara's face. His scowl deepened. So it's a rescue mission on top of everything else. And like, I get that there's a lot going on and that this is chaos. Everything is chaos. Everything is bad. (laughs) But it kind of seems like the wrong attitude to have when like you realize that people are being rescued. Like, should your first thought be like, oh, great. It's a rescue mission. Like, it's I know this. There's a lot of stress going on right now, but that was just like. Really,
1: Kurnara? Like that's just was not a good look in my mind. I mean, that's the thing with the High Republic as a whole in circumstances he wouldn't be. So now oh, we have to save people, but like maybe maybe he finally was just like I'm. I don't know what to do. It's too stressful. Uh, maybe. I, don't I mean, know. that's
0: that's the best I can think of because yeah. really it is an insanely stressful situation, yeah, right. but. You know, you had spoken at the top of the chapter about how impressed you were with Chris's kind of composure. And we we see it here in her approach to this situation now where I love this quote where she's talking, where she's addressing the bridge crew. She says, quote, every one of those lives is as important as any life on this world or any other. And she goes on to say, we must begin by believing it is possible to save everyone Mm -hmm. if the will of the force is otherwise so be it but i will not accept the idea of abandoning them without trying and i was thinking that's the compassion that we love to see from a jedi where placing that much value on each one of those lives of, of each individual she's sensing through the force it was just really impressive and just that level of compassion it, it was just fantastic to read and it really just it gives you hope like we don't we don't yeah. know how this is going to end at least I, I you know i don't i don't know how this is gonna end. i keep saying I wave know. but like everyone else this. i don't know how this is gonna end but like it's just it's comforting to read when chris is is speaking with this with this hope
1: because she can sense every single individual she's able to have that level of compassion that's what makes her so unique and probably why she's able to be in the position she's in because for her to even think about the fact that she couldn't try to save every single one of them it's just like she can't comprehend that and to be in a position where she can kind of take those thoughts in that viewpoint and kind of motivate everyone else to feel that same way um that's powerful in a good way and that is really hopeful to be faced with the knowledge that they might completely fail and not save you know save anyone or save as many people as they want to but they're going to do the best that they can and they're going to do whatever they have to and fight until the very end to try to even show the galaxy that all these lives matter that's really important it's a really important distinction to make and it was really important to show that here in this chapter.
0: Yeah. I again like I I keep thinking back to to Quigon where you know he he even would go out of his way to to free the one slave. You know, if the, if yeah. saving one or two lives is all that he can do, you know, it still makes a difference in the galaxy and here, you know, you know, trying to save you know, even if it's one or two or three of these people in peril you know it's as as long as they know that they've tried to do their best um yeah. and i am hoping that it's not going to be just they try their best but it ends up not working out uh, <laughs> i just again i wouldn't put it past charles soul but it was kind of a very hopeful way to end the chapter with them all kind of the bridge kind of then rushing into activity to try and find a solution to this problem But as we move into the last chapter we've got here, chapter 9, I'll give my summary and we can kind of move on to closing this one out. All composure and calm has left Padawan Zedifar as he plummets to the ground near the surrounded compound. Just before he is prepared to welcome death with flailing arms and panic screams, Master Greatstorm gracefully breaks his fall with the Force, lowering him to safety. The two Jedi approach the compound, asking some citizens why the guards will not let them in to board the yacht within the walls. Though some start to despair, Greatstorm uses the Force to calm those around him. The Jedi reach the foot of the wall and ask the guards why they are keeping the people out. In the face of a rather rude guard, Greatstorm is able to use his words rather than his lightsaber to convince the guard to order the gates to be opened. Suddenly. Marauders appear, firing into the crowd as they attempt to take the yacht for themselves. Again, it's like, I want to have this hope and belief, like, oh, they're opening the gates, hell yeah! Mm-hmm. And then they hear blaster fire and screams, and we're just right back where we started with just chaos and death. I'm just like, can I... Get... No spoilers, but can I catch a break? Like, no.
1: please? No. No. <laughs> Just, just I, no. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with The High Republic as a whole is it is at points very hopeful and at points for the very much the opposite. And every writer does a very good job of balancing the two because that's how real life is. You get your hopeful moments and your not-so-hopeful moments. And the only thing that gets you through the not-hopeful moments is knowing that there might be hope again. So... I mean that's like you see that you're seeing that like in every single chapter in this book so far and it just continues to be a larger theme and but it's important. It hurts a lot. We're 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 not gonna be the same when all this is over, but It's, it's just important. how it is. Yeah. You
0: know. <laughs> I think like when we when we read these stories of you know, part of it that we I guess both might and might not want to see is is how real they can be to our own experiences and yeah you know, like you're saying, the, you know, kind of the the good with the bad, it's this is how life is. And I think it hurts, but it makes for a good, compelling story when we realize that, yeah, uh, not everything has a happy ending. Like, you know, it, right. it, it's sometimes that's the most powerful and gripping writing is when we realize, yeah, like, I hope this is not gonna be how this ends. Like, you know, when they try their best, but it's just not enough you know that's yeah. something that we've all experienced in our own lives like you were saying but that's when you know it's real and uh <laughs> i'm just trying to hold on to whatever kind of hope i can and it's like please don't be real like <laughs> you know, oh no. I, just, I, just, I just need this to end well and you know we do get some glimpses of good happening and maybe even in small bits here and there you know i guess before the marauders show up at the end but we get more of Bel Zedifar and uh, Loden Greatstorm, you know, two characters who I've really kind of uh, been drawn to early on. But mm-hmm. in this chapter that, you know, focuses on them and trying to get to the bottom of this problem, this issue at the compound and trying to help these citizens escape the planet. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on Chapter 9 as they, you know, are trying to to kind of better this situation?
1: First of all, I, I love the relationship between Belle and Great Storm. And it, it's so important to establish different relationships between different masters and Padawans. And, you know, the distinction is so important. And this is just like, you know, the whole, like, even as they're in the middle of this situation, like, he's still making an effort to teach him and even just saying, like, you need more training. Like, that's hilarious. But also, like, it's just him being real about, you know, the situation and, like, where he's at in his journey to becoming a Jedi. And, you know, like, to have those teachable moments, like, in the middle of everything else that's going on. But this chapter, as it should have, really frustrated me because, like, you're just sitting here, like, people are so desperate and they just want to leave. And the fact that they, like, there's this power imbalance and, like, this desperation turns into, like, oh no, like, we could all get on this ship, these ships and leave and it would be fine. But also... No, like, we're gonna take the ship for ourselves. Why do these things happen? We don't know. But again, it's the galaxy is not perfect. And in times of tragedy, like that really comes out like people, you see people for who they really are in those moments where people can't pretend, and they're just gonna be exactly who they've always been. And uh, mm. that's not good. But um, yep. in this chapter is a lot different than the past two, but also a really good continuation of like the urgency that's the word i was trying to find earlier i couldn't find it <laughs> the the urgency of this whole thing and um people are realizing like we don't know what's going to happen if we don't go right now and just the fact that they're being prevented from doing this very simple not complicated thing because it would be very easy for them to just get on the ship and go and they can't even do that <laughs> i'm just getting angry just talking about yeah. it <laughs>
0: It was really frustrating to read, especially during Great Storm's interaction with this guard, which we'll get to, but, you know, and I have some some thoughts there about one's priorities in a situation where uh, the planet could just be destroyed at any right moment's <laughs> notice, or at least, you know, cities could be leveled in the, in an instant, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. get to that. But, <laughs> you know, as the chapter starts and, and Bell is falling, I did... Make note of this because he does mention, at least in his thoughts, uh, someone who we are very familiar with. Uh, You know, he's thinking, quote, now gravity was gravity and even the force couldn't turn it off. Though Bell thought perhaps Master Yoda could make it happen if he focused hard enough. And just uh, hearing Yoda, you know, again, I'd seen, you know, pictures of him, kind of the like concept art or whatnot of him yeah. during the High Republic. So I, I knew that he was around in this time. But just again, to, you know, the same thing with like a Wookiee Jedi, to see like this on page and, uh, you know, to see that he is still a strong lad with the force even yeah. now it's uh it was just it was really cool to see that moment and that name drop
1: the fact that he's just mentioned so casually it's like oh he's still he's he's here like he's experiencing all of this and uh yeah that's pretty cool and i just i get so excited whenever he is name dropped because i'm like what's he doing
0: <laughs> i hope that he won't be kind of a catalyst in the opposite direction of like oh, how no. the jedi are now you know because you're right he is around at this time you know seeing the jedi how they are now Mm. but then to see how different the jedi order is when he is grand master right in the prequel era so right now i'm kind of almost skeptical about yoda like hey are you the vessel through which you know the jedi become boring like (laughs) you know is this is this it yoda
1: (laughs) i mean honestly i wouldn't be surprised but it still hurts I'm not a huge fan of,
0: I guess, prequel Yoda, but right. I guess kind of reb, Rebels Yoda onward. I'm, i I like better. Yeah. But it's nice to again, like you're saying, to have that kind of that that little drop of familiar in an era that we are very unfamiliar with. You know, just yeah. to remind us, hey, yeah, this is Star Wars, right? You know, right. And, yeah, right. It is, so, <laughs> <laughs> and you had mentioned this, um, you know, after Great Storm saves Bell from certain death of uh, when he's. Uh, talking about how he needs to further his training. There's this quote here uh, I'll read. "'That wasn't much of a fall, really,' Loden said. "'You barely had time to think before the ground came calling. "'I get it, Belle. This is my fault. but don't worry. I can fix it. "'When we're back on Coruscant, I'll throw you off the tallest super towers we can find. "'Maybe you just need more time to commune with the Force. "'Some of those towers are thousands of stories tall. "'You could be falling for minutes. Plenty of time.' Sounds like a wonderful idea, Master, Bell said. I agree, Loden said. <laughs> so it's like so much for sarcasm. Like, Loden just means business. You know, hey, I'll yeet you from a, one of the tallest towers. Like, you'll
1: learn it, so it'll be fine, right?
0: <laughs> you'll have plenty of time to think about it. It'll be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and don't worry. Like, I promise I'll save you every single time. You know, I won't ever get distracted at the exact wrong moment.
0: <laughs> I love their dynamic. I love their Me dynamic. I, wa- I want things to... And, well, for both of them. <laughs> and, you know, when they do reach the compound, we get that moment where Great Storm is able to pretty much, you know, use the force to influence his words when he's talking to these citizens who are getting, you know, panicked and desperate, you know, as to be expected in a chaotic situation. And his his words, quote, cut through surrounding chaos and anxiety. And I don't think that was necessarily a mind trick that he used on the woman i don't think but it was still cool to kind of see him use the force kind of in this method of of reassurance but at the same time i i don't know because she like kind of smiled and nodded after he said that like it was mm-hmm. just a very drastic switch in her mood because she was kind of breaking down yeah i don't know was that a like a good mind trick like i don't know how to perceive that
1: there's some Stuff later on that kind of addresses like the idea that you may not be directly like manipulating someone's thoughts or behaviors, but you are altering their emotional state. So it could be that like he is really just like giving them that sense of calm that they didn't have, um, which which could in the moment be a good thing, but also kind of like um, what we consider a more traditional Jedi mind trick, like if you use it for the wrong reasons or too often not a great thing
0: well kind of the power get to their head where it's like oh just you know don't worry i'll I'll use force reassure it'll be okay like oh you're getting (laughs) you're getting too comfortable with the you know kind of the pulling the strings on emotions there um but i i hope he wouldn't abuse that or anyone well i guess i don't think he would but i don't know about other jedi but yeah i guess i will I, i guess i'll see you know and as they're walking through the crowd, the people begin to part ways kind of to let them through because they recognize them as Jedi because they're still wearing their ceremonial attire from having been at this um, conclave between the Republic and the Jedi for this starlight beacon, which I've heard name dropped a few times. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> this was the last episode of Devore and I were laugh crying where it's like I think they described the starlight beacon as a galaxy changing uh, station, which I was like, if I didn't know any better, they could describe the Death Star in the same <laughs> way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Starlight Again, the Starlight Beacon is the Death Star. <laughs> there is this kind of mention that Bell's is thinking that at times the Jedi also wear armor if the task kind of calls for it. And mm-hmm. I kind of thought that was kind of cool to see that, yeah, before the Clone Wars, when we see them kind of, oh, they're wearing armor. What is mm-hmm. this? Like that they have done that before, you know, maybe yeah. not specifically clone armor, like they did in the in the Clone Wars for a brief time, but to see that, it you know, at this stage, you know, 200 years before the Phantom Menace to to be true as well. I know that like in the Old Republic, we'd seen that, but it's cool to now see that it's canonized in this era as well.
1: It, it kind of just makes me think that like they're i'll say it like this i don't care they're in touch with reality enough at this point that they (laughs) Mm, mm. (laughs) say it how it is Uh, i uh yeah i guess um (laughs) that they are willing to be prepared for anything like as hopeful as they might be that conflicts won't be you know that tragic like they're aware that that is that could happen good for them because like Again, why is that not the case later? <laughs> We're just going to keep going back to that. What happened? Giant question mark. We don't know. I
0: mean, honestly, that's been like a massive question just like because we just get so much contrast between yeah. the Jedi now and the Jedi that we know of yeah. the prequels. And it's like, you know, both kind of jokingly like, guys, what happened? But then also like legit like, okay, well, but really like what happened? You know, <laughs> it,
1: it had to have been so much fun writing like this book and then I guess all the other ones too. Because basically, your task is take everything that you know about the Jedi from all of Star Wars and have them be the exact opposite. Yeah. how fun would that be? I, I want to write Star Wars. I envy but. them, but also <laughs> right?
0: I don't because <laughs> they hurt our emotions. So they,
1: you know, they're just they're having the time of their lives, hurting our feelings. It's so fine, whatever. If the, you get paid to do that, good for you.
0: <laughs> Pay me to please. <laughs> I'll write about the cool stuff, maybe not about the, the pain. <laughs> There's too much pain Too much pain And so Greatstorm begins to talk with This guard up on the wall Uh, He instantly seems just like a prick You know when he cites like Hey this is private property Shouldn't you just like you know take a hike And it's like yeah okay dude Like look around at the situation (laughs) And you know he's I think he like pretty much spit down at Greatstorm (laughs) And so like I just wrote in my notes Like just jog on Just like just go Just go away (laughs) Um And I thought it was a cool tidbit to find out that Belle and Great Storm do have kind of like in this, uh, I guess, like we saw in the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith where Anakin and Obi-Wan had like this code uh, where Great Storm and Belle have like this secret code for different situations um, that even like in the tone of Great Storm's voice, like Belle knows Mm -hmm. like certain signals, you know, whether to prepare to fight or not. And we we get this just absolutely brilliant moment when Great Storm just claps back at this guard. I'm just gonna read it here. The guard says, quote, What do you think you're gonna do, Jedi? Cut right through the walls with your lightsaber? Fight off every one of us? His master leaned forward, a smile now on his lips as well as in his voice. Sure, he said, why not? The guard's face changed, no longer amused, now confused, concerned. <laughs> like, that was just so good. It's like, Yeah, 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 what if I do? <laughs>
1: Con- confused, and concerned. <laughs> I, I love loaded great storm so much because, like, he just, he's just, he's this Jedi master with all th- this experience, and clearly he's seen so much. And he's just like, I'm gonna do what I have to do, but I'm not gonna take anything seriously. Like, sarcasm is my language. <laughs> I Just speaking so my language.
0: Much. <laughs> oh, it's just so great. Just from the, you know, the the super story or not super tower. Yeah. Super tower. What a th- super story, but <laughs> it's a super story. Uh, just from the super tower comment earlier. And now just the sass thrown back at the guard here. It's just, yeah. it's great, but it, yeah. it does work. You know, the guard orders for the gates to be opened. And that's where, you know, we think like, Oh, you know, things are, they're looking all right. Right. You know, they're turning around like, Oh, we did it, you know, and then they hear the blaster fire and the screams from behind them. And, you know, they jump up to the wall Um, to get a better view and we see that there's two armed kind of heavy speeders firing directly into the crowd Um, and just like that you know they realize these are marauders showing up to try to take the yacht for themselves and you know here i am just like wondering you know just when we thought i might get the break i've been (laughs) begging for things do find a way to get even worse. And you know that things are bad when, you know, Great Storm smile disappears mm-hmm. and they draw their sabers and they're about to, uh, you know, dive right in. And that is how the chapter ends. You know, Ugh. again, just a chilling end where innocent lives are being lost again. And yeah. it's not particularly looking great. If on one hand, they're kind of like sandwiched in, like the guards are just like hesitantly letting them in. But then- yeah. It's just one thing right after another.
1: Yeah, I love how these so many of these chapters end on notes like that because that's what keeps you. You know, the chapters are at least in the beginning pretty short. There's like seventy chapters or something ridiculous in this book. It's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> have fun, but to have every chapter like end on such like a an urgent or tragic note, like it's just such good storytelling and it's broken up so perfectly because you do have you're you're taken on this journey of like hope. And then, you know, you dropped back down to, oh, there's disaster again, because it never ends, apparently. It's an emotional journey. And it hooks you. And that's why this book works so well, because you're drawn back and forth between, oh, we're gonna be hopeful, right? Okay, maybe not. But also, we still have to be hopeful again and again. I hate this chapter. I mean, like, I don't. But it's it's just so frustrating and sad, because yeah. um, why, why you gotta? Why you gotta do this?
0: I mean, it's, it's just I don't know. I think I was more like, again, I should clarify like the Marauders showing up and doing this. Like, it's absolutely horrifying, especially mm-hmm. when the crowd thinks, like, oh, like things are looking up now. But I think I was just even more kind of pissed off when I was reading the guards' interaction with Great Storm, like before Great Storm had that, you know, great clapback. Yeah. Where in kind of just like <laughs> borderline apocalypse, these guards are you know, who are hired by this wealthy family, even now they're choosing to kind of just do what they're paid to do. Like the money speaks louder than, you know, their just obligation as a good human being. And like, you know, you you were talking earlier about how people's true colors come forth and kind of these moments that, you know, demand the most of us. And it was just, this is like priorities. Like even, you know, now like the galaxy, like, you know, the, the book starts off with, you know, the forces with the galaxy and it's like, you know, there's a lot of hope that is built up in certain spaces, and then you know, time and time again, we're also reminded about how, and like you had said earlier, you know, how there is not necessarily light in every person, or maybe you know, it's not as bright as it is in in others. And we see this with the guards here, where it's like, yeah, we're gonna do what we we're paid for instead of just right. doing just the bare minimum, you know, human decency. It, it was, it was, a, it was a tough read. This whole thing has been a tough read so far, but. <laughs> But, you know, this chapter was no exception, you know, really? Yeah. And even the dialogue parts, much less than the parts where the blasters start actually being fired. It's yeah. just hard,
1: yeah. and And this idea of um money and power being so influential over um people's actions, even in a galaxy facing tragedy, is gonna come back in more higher public things again and again. And it just feels it it really just becomes apparent that, like, even in this time of supposed, you know, good and peace, there's still people who they value one thing and one thing only, and that's, you know, having power over other people, and it's terrible. But it's it's something that Star Wars handles so well because it's so frustrating, but it's so it just handled perfectly every time.
0: I think that I had um, back in the first episode of the season when. The legacy runs kind of mission was being described and you know we're finding out about these kind of settlers moving out into the outer rim you know on one hand we find you know we found out like that they were doing that because you know they wouldn't be doing that if they had the money and the resources to kind of live good lives sustainable lives in the republic so already there's that kind of social commentary between the wealthy and those not you know as well off and what that means for different lives Then also you're you're talking about, you know, wielding power over others. I was, it spoke of the settlers seeking, you know, new opportunities and new beginnings. And that really reminded me of, okay, like, you know, the American colonization of the West, you know, it's like, you know, in in the gold rush and all that. It's like in, you know, obviously in our history, you know, having, you know, the white man having wielded power over the natives and, you Mm. know, the how terrible that ended up being. And it's still is the effects still to today okay. and how I'm scared about what that will mean for, you know, we hear about this golden age of the Republic, but mm. it's like golden age for, for who in the Republic, mm. you know, like, and I'm just, I'm nervous to read more about that and, and how power is wielded from those colonizing the outer rim and mm. what that'll mean. I, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> so
1: you should be, <laughs> you
0: should <laughs> You it's like Yoda, you will be. <laughs> you will be. <laughs>
1: you're you're gonna be fine. But uh, you know, if you ever need anyone to talk to you about anything, you know, if it's higher public related, it's just, Or just help. <laughs> we just need a support group. It's fine.
0: That is becoming evident through each chapter. It's like Ugh. I just I need a reminder that there's good in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: I need to go just watch, you know, a really wholesome episode of Clone Wars really quick, you know, yep. just to remind right. myself that everything's gonna be fine. everything's
0: fine, right? Yeah. And it's like the, the the burning house, the burning planet. Like this is
1: this is fine,
0: <laughs> please. <laughs> this has been, as it has been in the past couple of episodes, a roller coaster ride of a mm-hmm. journey yeah. through the start of the uh, of the High Republic and Light of the Jedi. But Meg, thank you so much for talking about these chapters. Uh, you know, as as up and down as they have been. But if the listeners wanted to you know hear more of your voice and see more of your work and your presence online, could you tell them about what you do and where they could uh, give a follow or subscribe?
1: Yeah, a lot of my work in Star Wars. Fandomland is over at utini.com and really, what um, we're doing over there is uh, doing our best to help you navigate uh, your own uh, Star Wars reading journey. So, whether that be um, books, comics, um, whether you're reading a Star Wars book for the first time—hopefully that's not the case if you're listening to this—but it, it could be. I mean, who knows? Or you haven't read a Star Wars book for a while, or or you just you want to know like what are books to read uh, based on characters you like, things like that. Um, we have guides, we have book discussions, we have podcasts. Um, we have a lot of resources for you to kind of figure out like i like star wars i want to read more books or i want to read more comics where do i even begin that is what we're here for so if you want uh, more of that and to hear about more of the things that we're doing um you can find me on twitter at uh mcdowell um you know twitter can be an interesting place to be but um you know if you're listening to this um you're already hopefully of um of the group of us who just wants to be here because uh, Star Wars is fun, and um, you know, and that's what I'm here to do too. So I yell about Bo-Katan Kryze sometimes, but also um, I love the High Republic. I love all the book things and just um, roasting Kevin Scott over and over and over because he deserves it. Um, so yeah, you can follow me there and um, follow Utini on all the things as well. We're here to help you get to into reading more uh, Star Wars things because it's um it's a good place to be.
0: It is a great place to be, and. I think even answering the question as, you know, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Where do I start? Because there, you know, you and I both know, and you more so because, you know, working with Utini, like, there is a lot of yeah. Star Wars books and content out there. And it can be, you know, people have told me, like, it can be daunting, you know, like, yeah. if I want to start, like, you know, where? And I think even an- having that question answered alone could open the door to a galaxy worth of possibilities so listeners i will post links to uh, meg's work and social media in the episode description meg thank you so much again this was fun with the ups and the downs and the the laughs and the tragedies thank you for making the time
1: absolutely it's it's good to be back and i can't wait to be back sometime again
0: before we close out today i'll give our next search your readings discussion question We've seen a large emphasis so far on the unity and togetherness among the Jedi in the Hetzal system, especially given Master Chris's meditation connecting herself to the beings around her. Do you think the mission would fall apart without Master Chris's unique ability? Would the Jedi stand a chance if she was not with them on the third horizon? I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comment and send your responses on any of those platforms or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, search your readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Outer rim read pod and on Facebook and Instagram at outerrimreadspod. If you'd like to support the show for as little as $3 a month, you can do so at patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 44. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Yeah, don't mind me. I need another glass of vodka. This is just... It's a lot to handle.